Welcome back to Unconfirmed Transactions, episode 10. I'm joined by Tone Vase to do a part two debrief of consensus. So I had my little rant about the hackathon specifically, and we're here at, in Brooklyn at a space called Coinspace. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Coinspace? Because I don't know a whole lot about it, but I know that we were here for a party and we planned this podcast and it's a great space. Uh, yeah, no, thanks for uh, having me on again, Dan, on the podcast. Uh, it, it's great. Uh, Solomon Ladder, it's uh, his baby. I know he had a di- coin space in a different location prior, but uh, this is a great space. Um, you can probably see it on camera. Uh, if you're on audio, you won't be able to see it. Uh, probably fit about uh, three to four companies can work out of here pretty easily. Got one big table um, for um, a group, big group meeting. Um, it's great. I mean, it's, he's letting us use the space to shoot the podcast. Uh, I'll be doing some of my meetings here. I might work out of here a little more often myself. It's, uh, uh, I don't know, this, this is, uh, what's the name? I'm trying to remember the neighborhood. It is Sunset Park, Park right? Yeah, it's, it's near sun- Costco in Brooklyn if you need a landmark. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Sunset Park over on, off the, if you're on the Gavanas Expressway, the BQE Road, uh, the 36th Street exit. Um, other than that, I'm hey. Th- thank you for letting us use the space. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thank you very much. And it's it's good for Tone because my I have a cat at my house, and it, Tone kind of can't stand the heat of the cat. <laughs> I, I also cut my drive in half. Yeah, we're, we're literally meeting in between our uh, our places of living, and New York is a pretty big city. New York is efficient. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Dan, you were at the hackathon. I heard your previous uh, podcast, so that that was interesting. Yeah, so um, I I participate in the hackathon. If you're listening to this and haven't heard my hackathon cool down, you don't necessarily need to. But basically, I went to the hackathon, and my takeaway was it was weird being there. Um, blockchains are magic to some people, and not to me, and that makes me feel crazy. And I was kind of commenting on that more than like maybe my dissatisfaction about my own project, but like the being in this space and like looking at how people are interacting and they, they're, they believe in like UFOs is what Chris and Josh call it, the UFO conference, but that's kind of the feeling you get. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they brought it up and I was like, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I'm, of course I'm skeptical about all those projects as well. Um, I, they're just not naming it what it is. I personally wouldn't uh, call it a UFO conference, uh, but uh, I would have had a different analogy. I can't even think of one. Uh, they're just, everything's a blockchain. Everything's, and no one believes in Bitcoin. I mean, that's the, that's the craziest yeah. part. No one wants to believe in Bitcoin. I mean, to me, people participating in a hackathon are nuts. I mean, I don't know why, in a, why on earth would you want to program for 24 to 48 hours straight, right? Like, like that's just not fun to be. Like, I've been to hackathons, uh, just hung out there for the day. Um, actually, at one of them, I had to be there for like the whole night because I didn't have a place to stay. This happened in Miami when there was a big snowstorm on the East Coast. And uh, my flight was canceled and I, had, I got stuck in Miami for a few extra days. And then I ended up renting a car and driving home. That was interesting. But, uh, yeah, I don't know why you guys want to do that to yourselves. They're fun. I mean, you know, it's a challenge. It's a personal challenge. And I think I will compete in the Miami Hackathon. That looks like a lot of fun. Uh, it's just supposed to be a challenge, man. Uh, you, have to, you have to be a programmer and have cats and, like, smell bad to understand. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, next time, next time I'll do a little more because I'm always, I don't want to bother people, right? So I was there at the hackathon. I don't want to bother people. I really should have just walked around to every team and asked them what they're doing and gave them like comments. Mm-hmm. And actually at the Miami hackathon, I was useful. There was a couple of guys came up to me because they knew who I was and they were asking me opinions on their project. So mm-hmm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, I don't know if they won. They never got back to me. Uh, there's a couple of guys that wanted to do like something with notarizations on the blockchain, uh, mm-hmm. similar to what you were doing. Um, and I, I gave them some clues. I don't remember what I told them, but they, they found it really, really useful, mm-hmm. whatever advice I gave them. But, well, um, you, don't have, you don't have to be a coder to have opinions about Bitcoin. That's, oh, to, that's to be sure. Yeah, but uh, see, I'm not a coder, but I understand code because I, I used to code uh, a little bit. Uh, but uh, and I also worked with coders my entire career life. Mm. Like I had to like sit down with a developer and tell them what I needed program. That was my job. Okay. Um, or sense. look through stuff and figure out which a developer team messed up. The database team, the C plus plus team, the the quants that that programmed the risk model. Um, is it a UI issue? Uh, so I had to. They're just not displaying the right numbers out of the database. So I've done that kind of work before. All right. So. Uh... I, so we just actually, we're at this coin space. If you're watching on video, you can see we're in this coin space. Uh, just the other night, there was an event here. There was, um, Roger Ver was here. Uh, Eric Voorhees was here. There were some, so just like a lot of people were here. And uh, on the way to this coin space event, I'm thinking in my head, you know what? I got to get Tone's opinion about consensus because I didn't go to the main event. And the second I see Tone, he, he, he pulls me aside. And he goes, Dan, we got to talk about consensus. So let's just get into that. Like, I want to know what your takeaways were, uh, what the highlights were, uh, what did you think about um, the whole Craig Wright thing that was kind of like permeating the entire event? Um, the fireside chat that happened in a side room. I know I'm just like hitting a lot of things, but I'd like I just like to listen and be a fly on the wall for like your rundown, your debrief. Oh man, I just realized I have to take this call. It will be very very quick. Certainly, um, yeah, don't worry about it. We can pause it on a podcast. You we'll see pause it on it video. And, we'll it and on the video, you'll know why. Hello. Yeah, just just pick up from where you took off. All right. So, uh, what are we talking about? I just kind of introed like I wanted to get your opinion about consensus uh, because you went and I didn't. But but I basically I tried to hack my way in and failed. I, I, you were, I was able to see a lot about it, though, online. Like that's the thing about these events is like people were live blogging them and <sighs> tweeting them. Yeah, I was I was live blogging a lot. So so my thing with with conferences and not everybody is like that. I try to attend as many speaking presentations as possible. Uh, and I, I'm a little different that way because I, I see a lot of people spend all their time in the hallway. They're going oh, okay. there to, uh, to meet people. They're going there to, um, I guess, to network, which is, which is good. And then you have speakers that just go there and speak and disappear. Now, I understand everybody's busy. Everyone's trying to run a company. So I understand that. So not everybody can do that. Um, I kind of have a reputation. I will sit there through all the presentations. I will listen as much as I can. I will tweet out as much as I can. And from the beginning, uh, I realized, I knew it was going to be, I was at last year's consensus, so I already knew it was going to be tailored to the banks and tailored to the regulators. Uh, But this year, going into it, I'm way more skeptical about, uh, I've always been skeptical of Ethereum from the beginning, but now I am way more skeptical of Ethereum. I'm way more skeptical of all these blockchain projects. And I'm seeing how the space has evolved in one year where Bitcoin is just ignored. 
Mm-hmm. It, it's like it doesn't exist. Yeah, the, the takeaway for me was definitely like Bitcoin's dead. Or yeah. like if you brought it up, like you're kind of like a dinosaur or something like that. I know. It's, it, it's just kind of weird. And, and that's how it's going to sneak up on mm. people. And, 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 this, and, and, I, and I love it. And I, I absolutely love it. This is what might be keeping the Bitcoin price down, mm. which I actually, again, kind of like because it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, when, all these, when most of these projects fail, uh, Bitcoin will just shoot right up again because nothing, people, they nothing will fundamentally has changed about the value proposition of Bitcoin. It's just it, the, it's, the it went up. Mm-hmm. I believe it went up. And um, it's interesting you bring up that you like to go to the presentations because there's a couple things you can do at conferences. You can go to the presentations for learning. You can go to the presentations to be a content producer, which it seems like that would be what you were doing. You can what I would call lobby, where you kind of stand in the lobby and try to meet people you never meet before. You can do side rooms and meet with people you have business relationships with. And like I guess the last thing is just partying. Those are kind of like the different things you do at conferences. Um, so your advice would be to go to the presentations for people if they're going to go to a conference? Because you go to a lot of conferences. Maybe one thing we can t- but beyond just this consensus event, you go to a lot of Bitcoin conferences. How do you get the most out of them? I honestly, this is how I meet people, and I try to just you got to step back and you got to see what the general theme was and who the people are. And my thing these days, because I don't just speak at Bitcoin conferences, I speak at entrepreneurship conferences, I speak at anarchist conferences, I speak at libertarian events. Um, so these days, my view is it's not so much the technology. I also focus on the people programming that technology. To me, that is very important. Is it a Zuckerberg or is it a Julian Assange? Right? To me, it's important what the team is. And this is why I'm a big supporter of Bitcoin Core. And I let people know I'm a supporter of Bitcoin Core. Because I have met those people, and I got, and I, I know I'm at a privileged position where I get to meet uh, Bitcoin Core developers. Because I'm at all these events, I go to San Francisco. Uh, they know me. They know I write about them. I mention them, um, and they talk to me. I, I've been to their office, and I like their mentality. I like their view. I like their politics and their politics for freedom and piracy, uh, freedom and privacy. And that's important to me in a developer because especially in the case of Bitcoin and blockchain, that's the code. That, that Whatever they program, that's what's going to be there possibly forever if you have a good consensus mechanism, which is something Ethereum still doesn't understand. So it, the programmer is really, really important. And I know people see Vitalik as like this boy genius, but I'm telling you when the government and the... And the regulators and the cops start putting the squeeze on that project, it's over. Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up. I was, think, I was thinking about this as I watched the, I know I don't, I don't really want to talk about it a lot, but the, the Craig Wright story and how, how that explodes. And here's, here's one of the things I like to think about. So like in any community, in my opinion, around like 2% of the people are what I'll call content generators. And in this community, I would say like, 0.2%, 0.02% people are coders. So we have like a very small community of very protu- productive people. Like this is a uh, ecosystem that lives and dies on developers and coders. Like you need those people. Those people are essential. Um, and so when you have an event like Dr. Craig Wright, whatever that is, you have a lot of people 
you have more people than usual chiming in because it's a topic that they can they can talk about. It's a conspiracy or it's a whatever. It's not a, it's not a code specific topic, and so that's why you get so much uh, people because people want to be involved in this space and they have a hard time finding ways to be involved in this space. That's one of the things I just noticed. Um, yeah, I know that's a total whatever. Yeah, it's a, it's a little <laughs> off topic, but Craig Wright certainly, issue certainly, came certainly. up um, came up there as well. Uh, the one place where the Craig Wright issue really came up was a panel that had Gavin Andreessen, Vitalik Buterin, uh, Eric Lombroso, he's a core developer working with Blockstream, and uh, Cifrix, I believe is his company. He's big on privacy as well. And some girl was on that panel, and I found that very frustrating. She mentioned she'd been involved for six months. I, I believe I'm the one. I, she mentioned, she. I, I think I, it, it's possible. I might apologize now. Um, I, it, it's possible that it was me that, that said the six-month part, but I don't remember what the exact number was, but it was around that. She specifically said the first thing... Um, see, the, oh, sorry, let me back up a little bit. So I attend all these things, but I'm also busy. I have my computer out. I'm tweeting. If someone says something interesting, I, I tweet it out, uh, and I try to like structure my tweets. So that takes time. It's not easy. I'm also a trader, and this is during a trading day, so I have my trading... Um, broker open. Um, so it's hard. So I listen with one ear and do everything else. And the moment I hear something that catches my attention, like my head just comes up. Okay. And then I remember what they said so I can then tweet it out. So I, I've never seen her before. I never heard of her. And she even said she's new to it. She's new to the space. And, and the first thing I'm thinking of, why are you on this panel? You have, like, uh, Vitalik Buterin, I guess it kind of makes sense. He's like a god to the Ethereum people. Uh, and he is a coder, and he's been around for three, four years, uh, at least three. Uh, Gavin Andreessen is obvious. Eric Lombroso has been there from the beginning. Like, she, she did not belong on our panel. She, uh, she just didn't. And it was, and it's unfortunate. Uh, she was from MIT, but lately with what MIT has been putting out, I'm very disappointed in that organization. Uh, but... Uh, so it made no sense. And, and the Craig Wright topic came up there, and Gavin is convinced it's him. Gavin is convinced uh, Craig Wright is Satoshi. And that has to say something, because Gavin was there from almost the beginning. Um, and Gavin also said that Craig Wright saw him in a private chat or a private meeting or something, and uh, Craig Wright proved to him in a private way that he's Satoshi, but he didn't do it yet publicly. So Gavin is convinced and Gavin then convinced other people that I know that have been in the space since 2010 uh, that may not be developers. Um, I mean, I want the Blockstream team and the other core developers to be convinced. Uh, there was also uh, at least one uh, person from the hacker community that's involved in that, in that space who also was involved in Bitcoin space or at least knew about it from the very first days of the white paper being published. Uh, and he's also pretty convinced that, that uh, Craig Wright might be the guy. Uh, so, so there's a lot of people that you can't ignore their views on the subject. Um, so they're starting to sway me a little bit. But again, I don't know. I try to reserve my opinion on it. Um, I'll wait for more evidence. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. It only matters from one point of view. This was going to bother me. If Craig Wright is Satoshi, let's assume that he is. Um, he will, they, he will be drilled on his opinion of the block size. And here's where a problem comes in. If our new Satoshi sides with bigger blocks, 
you're going to have like bigger blocks now crowd. I mean, no one is against bigger blocks, but um, if he sides with, uh, what's his name? Coinbase guy, Brian Armstrong. If he sides with the Brian Armstrong view, that entire side of the argument will start screaming, this is what Satoshi wants, this is what Satoshi wants, this is what we have to do. Um, if the other side happens, the, the core team is not going to scream, um, this is what Satoshi wants. That's just not their style. So it becomes a lopsided thing. If he goes the other way, um, they're not going to care. Uh, they're not going to get, they're going to stick to, he has gone away from his original vision. So even he will, I, I think he will only make the debate worse. So that's what worries me. Like him coming out at this time, while the debate of the block size is so heated, I believe will make the debate worse, not better. So I'm not so sure yet what to think about Craig Wright, but there's definitely several people who have indicated pretty clearly that they're very willing and, and interested in being like part of some sort of like secret inner group though publicly, which I don't really love so much. Um, there's a lot of like, oh, I know secrets, but I won't tell you. And they'll publicly say that. And uh, that makes me uncomfortable about them. Uh, uh, I go to BitDevs NYC a lot. It's one of the meetups I plug a lot. And, when, and this goes back to developers. Uh, I've seen increasingly at these events, people, when we go around and mention why they're there, they're often, they're there for AML, KYC, like sort of services um, more and more. And that comes down to the politics of developers. And That's unfortunate. Definitely unfortunate. And I, and I always uh, like, so Chain Anchor came up at one of these uh, recent bit devs. That's the, MI, that's the MIT, that's the, is that the same MIT project yes. as the one where they wanted to identify users? Now they want to identify miners. Yes. Is it the same project or is it two separate uh, idiots no, from MIT that are putting these things together? It's, it's two parts of the same project. And Peter Todd brought that up. Uh, I would like to say, though, that so the MIT, the institu institution, definitely disappointing. But the MIT conference was pretty good. Like, I think the students at MIT are, are pretty solid when it comes to Bitcoin, in my opinion. But the institution of MIT, I'm definitely disappointed with. Um, because I, I like the MIT conference. I was wa I streamed it and I was watching. Oh, you were it. there. I wasn't there, but like I saw a lot of the stream. Oh uh, yeah, I, liked I, it. I should have watched the stream. I, I think I was I was at another conference at the same time, uh, and I don't know for, for some reason it's like when there is a stream, um, I almost never go back to watch it. I'm like, oh, I, should, I missed the stream. Uh, if there was no stream, I usually go back and try to watch some of them. Mm -hmm. Um, I did see the James D'Angelo presentation. Right. Uh, I should go and watch the R three presentation. I heard that one wasn't just a joke. You should watch the core developers uh, conference that follows right after D'Angelo, where they all basically take turns like saying they disagree with him. It's pretty, okay, it's well, I've been at, I'm wearing I'm wearing the scaling Bitcoin shirt, so um, uh, I will always be in attendance at a scaling Bitcoin event. Yeah. Uh, so that those are those I never miss. How about how about you tell me a little bit about the fireside chat that happened? All right. Yeah. So let's let's do that. So uh, this wasn't on the schedule but people were interested and uh we grabbed one of the rooms and they put a couple of um is it, what's the definition of a core developer see this is a tricky one right so some people think of core developers as only like the five people with commit access which seems to be a little too restrictive and then other people broaden this definition to the nth degree saying, well, as long as you've, uh, if you, even if you have like one line of code that you've contributed that, uh, that those with commit access ended up using, you are forever to be known as a core developer. Uh, to me, that seems a little broad. That seems too broad. Right. 
So I don't know what the definition of a core developer really is, but um, there was four people in a fireside chat, Eric Lombroso, which has more than one line of, uh, of code committed in, uh, in, in the Bitcoin blockchain, in the core code. Um, and there was uh, Brian, let's forget his last name. Bishop. Bishop, there you go. Of Ledger X. Of Ledger X, yes. And I believe he's also doing some work on the Bitcoin core code. And then there was one more guy. I forgot his name. Uh, and We can put it in Vic, the show notes. Yeah, we can probably put it in the show notes. Um, he looks to me like he's about 19. Uh, he could be older. Uh, he's young. I believe, I'm not sure if he's from MIT or not. I don't know how much he has contributed to, uh, to core uh, but I guess he has been contributing. I mean, you're, you're volunteering. They're all volunteering. There's only a few of them that are getting paid, I think, from uh, that are part of the Blockstream uh, Corporation. I guess the corporation or the, the entity, the corporate entity. Uh, but the rest of them are volunteers, and I'm glad that they are. Uh, and uh, they all seem to have, you know, a big privacy uh, focus. And that was one of my questions. But the fire chat was in a little room. No one really knew about it. Uh, I was informed of it. I, I tweeted it out. I think I was responsible for getting like half the people into mm -hmm. that room. It was maybe one third the size of the room we're sitting in now. Uh, could probably fit maybe 40, 50 people. And it was about 30 people there. Uh, there were good discussions. Roger Ver was there. And Roger Ver wants bigger blocks now. I'm great friends with Roger Ver. And every time I see him at events, we... Um, don't really argue, but we debate the um, the two sides because we are on different sides of this issue. Um, Gavin Andreessen was also there. We're like sitting next to each other, me, Gavin, and uh, Roger. And Gavin is uh, more aligned with Roger. Uh, bigger blocks now. Uh, we need to get it done. Um, so they were throwing those questions at him. Uh, and there were a couple of other Blockstream guys there that weren't part of the panel, but they did... Uh, contribute afterwards in group discussions trying to explain that they're not against bigger blocks. And people need to understand that these things take time. They are already testing SegWit. Uh, the, the release was delayed because um, I think it was it Peter Will uh, figured out a way to uh, create a software. You know, let me not name names because I could be totally wrong. So one of the core developers found a way to, to do SegWit as a soft fork and not a hard fork. Uh, to make it less intrusive in entering and getting the code through. But now some people are complaining about the soft fork, saying we need hard forks. We need to eliminate these inefficient miners that don't upgrade their software, hardware. Um, so there's just debates on all sides, trying to explain it. Yes, and then Lightning's going to come in um, to, to like scale it almost infinitely. Uh, My understanding is that the the Hong Kong agreement, or you could argue over how much agreement there was on it, but the scaling roadmap that came out of the Hong Kong meeting um, said that they were going to have a the SegWit was going to be not launched in April necessarily, but like if you look, like they do have it like as a pull request. There's like 70 commits or so. Uh, it was um, at least put up for review in April, so that timeline was met um something in and i believe just just to give them a little bit of credit uh i think bitcoin error log was really instrumental in this fire ch side chat actually becoming a thing because he was pestering uh, coindesk about how why are there no bitcoin core developers at like 
this event like what's that about <laughs> and he, and they that's i think that's why this fireside chat even began and somebody at a bitcoin bit devs nyc meetup it was somebody who's totally new to bitcoin she had and she told me that she actually met you when she was there but uh she's as someone who's brand new to bitcoin she was there and she told me that in her opinion gavin and Dreesen was asking questions to which he knew the answer to and that was very weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that that happens quite okay. often. We, we 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 all do that. That's true. We all do that. I mean, I I did the same thing. I, and Gavin and Roger asked their questions about uh, doing bigger blocks now, and uh, and then I had to raise a question. And my question was, how important is fungibility uh, in the code? Because I know that if you do stuff quick, it's bad. I mean, th this is how bad lines of code get in. Uh, people need to understand if you're not a developer. Um, if you are a developer, you, don't, you may not realize this, but when you're working with developers, uh, there's two things that I've known. My, my 10 year ten years experience of working with developers. Um, it always takes twice as much time as they expect. Everything always takes, like, and, and it's not even the code, the process, right? If you have a project that requires development, it's like contracting. It's like if you ever bought a house and you hired a contractor, it will always take twice as long and it will always cost twice as much. Like whatever your estimates are, you double both of them because that is what's going to happen. So my experience with developers is the same. It always takes like almost twice as long to release your project. Now the irony is when you go to a developer and you ask them how long something will take, they will overestimate on purpose. And then you start breaking it down and then they're like, okay. Or their favorite thing to do is they'll tell you it's going to take them two days and then three hours later you get this email. You're not going to believe this. I have no idea how I did it. I found this trick. I found a way to turn this eight hours of man work into two. <laughs> Developers do this all the time. Well, you learn that trick over time. Well, one of the thing, one of the other funny quotes I've heard a lot of times about development is, um, "Good news, the product's ninety percent done. There's only ninety percent left." <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is as well. Because <laughs> when when you start programming, you realize how much other shit you break. Yeah. How much other shit you break, and and then the other problem with development, and I ran into this problem a lot. I've had multiple CTOs, and I've always worked for CTOs, and um, you have two ways. You can make all these changes and then release all of them once a month. And uh, that's good and bad because you have plenty of time to test and you only have to make one commit into the production code. One of my CTOs hated that method. His view was, you fix something, you release it immediately. Don't even tell people. You just release it. You fix something, you, you do a backup, you know, you test it first, of course, on the, on the dev box, and then you immediately release it. And that was his view. And then you release it, and then you just wait and look around the room and you wait for someone to scream, right? Be because if you release something and it immediately breaks something, you immediately know. As opposed to waiting once a month and you're releasing 48 changes at once and then something breaks and you don't know what broke. Broken Bitcoin is not acceptable. Correct. <laughs> so, it's, it, it, so, so these are, I'm just talking about development in general. Right, but, right. but, it, it, but the, the stakes are much higher here. Exactly. We the stakes have, are much higher be, because it's downtime. money. <laughs> be, be, because it's money, which is why you, have, you need a combination of both of these things. You can't commit multiple things at once. You got to commit one thing at a time and you got to take your time doing it. This is what happens when it comes to money. Because when you're programming and other things, and I, I would love to see what's going to happen to Ethereum in about a year. 
I mean, it's uh, they, if they think they're not going to have these problems, they have no idea. Uh, and that's what I tell them. They're like, oh, Ethereum doesn't have these problems. We all get along. We don't have this bickering. And my answer is yes, because no one uses Ethereum. <laughs> when people start using your product and there is real money on the line, right now it's only traders. It's just traders. It's not even Ethereum that needs to break. It's a, well, it's not crypto anymore. What the hell are they trading that thing? I don't, I'm not. Shapeshift? Uh, I think a big marketplace is Poloniex. Poloniex. There you go. I'm that sure one that's I where a lot right. of the volume is. Poloniex. Uh, like the, 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 what can kill Ethereum right now is Poloniex breaking down. Not even Ethereum. Hmm. They can trade their damn tokens. They're not important. I was actually talking about Poloniex is more mind. important to Ethereum than Ethereum. I, I think that sounds correct. <laughs> Uh, one and one of the couple things. So like, uh, there was a trader of Ethereum. I, I tweeted at him, and he was like, "Look, Ethereum is the number one traded thing on Poloniex." And I was like, um, "What's the volume of BTC on Poloniex?" He's like, "Oh, like twenty thousand dollars." And I was like, "Then he shows me this graph, and every single token the trading pair is BTC. <laughs> every single token. They don't they, see it though. They, they don't see it though. <laughs> and here's the thing, right? And they call themselves traders, right? Like yeah. th th this is the irony, right? The, the, this is this is the irony of it. All, everybody ran into the altcoins thinking that I need to trade in an unregulated market. <laughs> this, this, this is why I'm a trader, and this is why I don't trade uh, cryptos. Mm -hmm. um, you'll see me at the conference. You'll always see me having a professional interactive brokers uh, platform, and I'm always there. I'm trading options. I'm trading futures. I'm trading equities. Um, I never... Uh, one day, maybe I'll trade currencies, but after I see what's going on in the Bitcoin space, I, um, I'm not even going to consider that one anymore. C Is it too much to ask? Do you trade GBTC or BTC directly? I, I don't trade Bitcoin. Okay. I see. I, I, I used to a little bit. I, I don't really trade it anymore. Uh, I find it less predictable than... So you're a hodler? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, my... Uh, I, I, I used to... I, I have had very poor... In I've had... I have had very poor investments with my Bitcoin, and now it is permanently in cold storage. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not coming out. I don't care how great your project is. Uh, no, ma no matter how much I think it's a short-proof thing in the Bitcoin space, uh, you're, not getting, you're not getting any of my Bitcoin. Yeah, me as well. Um, I just have it locked up somewhere. Forget yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, I hope I don't forget about it. Um, so I'm, uh, maybe I'll forget about it. We'll see. Well, I guess it's good if I forget about it and the government can't get it either. <laughs> uh, that was one of my questions, by the way. This was to Elliptic. You know Elliptic? Another one of those. We need to identify everybody on the blockchain. I haven't heard about it, but is it like chain analysis or something like it that? It is. It is. Okay. So they actually pivoted. I, I don't remember what they were doing before because I remember I wrote an article and I mentioned Elliptic. I forgot what they were doing. And they were doing something like in the, in the exchange space. I oh, no, no. Sorry. In the, uh, I think he was on my VC panel. I don't even remember. This was a while ago. And I wrote about them as, an, as something interesting. They were like, oh, they were mapping out um, where are Bitcoins like going, where they're being spent. Was it like a circle graph yeah. and it showed it, it was different colors? And right. I think I've so, seen that. Right. I'll but, drop it in the show notes. Right, right. So, so they started out as like providing analytics in the Bitcoin, like of the Bitcoin space. Like where are they going, where are they being mined, things like that. I believe so. So I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. That's good information. And then all of a sudden, um, around the time the guy was on my panel, and, or right after that, which is probably why he didn't like one of my questions, um, they pivoted to, we need to do 
AML compliance and we need to identify everybody on the, on the chain. I think they're furthest along. I heard they can like identify 60% of transactions and link them back to people, which is, well, will bring fungibility faster, but uh, I still don't like them doing that. But at the time, I didn't know they were doing it. Oh, they, you know what they were doing? They were also doing like storage. So they were doing like CoinKite was doing. They're like, uh, we will secure your Bitcoins for you. Mm -hmm. And then they pivot to, we will identify everybody on the blockchain, which is freaking horrible. So they started out as a security play for your Bitcoin. And then they pivoted to, well, we need to identify everyone on the chain. So when they were still um, doing security, um, I decided to get these controversial questions. You know these questions where you have like three seconds to answer and I give them like a choice. I ask a question and I'm like, these are your two answers. Pick one and you have two seconds to answer me. You can't think about it. Um, so he really did not like my question and he didn't answer it. But they weren't easy. Um, I think I pissed off Harry A with my question too uh, right after that. I don't remember what they all were. But for him specifically, uh, because he was doing security and like a vault for Bitcoin for companies, for people, I go... If you were to get hacked and your Bitcoin was going to be taken, uh, would you rather, uh, sorry, if, if you were going to lose your Bitcoin, if someone broke your security, you're going to lose your Bitcoin, would you rather it be a hacker or the government? A hacker? That would have been my answer. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I just what popped into my head. Versus, I'd rather it be a hacker, I guess. Yeah. He it'd did be, not want to, he did be, not answer the question. It was a like CEO of Elliptic. It'd be much scarier if it was the government. Um, yeah, so a couple things there. I, the, these companies that are doing uh, analysis on the blockchain, I don't know, you know, I, I don't invest in any of them. I think they're probably pretty bad investments because they don't seem to be looking uh, down the line at what's coming into Bitcoin, like confidential transactions, your knowledge proofs, coin joins. Like, I think what the Bitcoin we're going to have in the future is you're going to be able, everything's going to be trackable from a macro level. We know like how much how much is in circulation, general oh, I flows. I want that. Um, but at the very individual level, that will be much more uh, unclear. There'll be enough ambiguity there that we have good fungibility. But at the macro level, very trackable. Micro level, less so. I think that's the where we're going with Bitcoin. I no, I mean that's where the core developers want to go with Bitcoin. That's not where the majority of the people pitching projects in the blockchain are going. They think that's a problem. They they don't want to deal with, with this kind of currency, which is why everyone is moving to Ethereum because it doesn't have the reputation of Bitcoin uh, because they also don't understand it. it's the reputation of Bitcoin that makes it valuable. It, 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 it's really... It, it, I don't know. I keep arguing with these people and Maybe they just don't get Maybe all they'll do it. is to serve is to catalyze that, that rush towards more an anonymity quicker. Um, and I see a lot of startups trying to do identity on the blockchain. I don't, I'm not really in love with stuff Look, like that. You don't need I like to pseudonymous, do pseudonymous identity, like and a the, numbered address. <laughs> I also find that crazy. We're going to do identity on a blockchain. Uh, if, you, if a person wants to be identified on a blockchain, all they have to do is announce their transactions. Just build an app. Just tell them who you are. Even um, Airbits does that. You can put your name right there into the app so that when you send people Bitcoin, your name is there. Um, you can you can embed it right in there. You can put notes. You can. Uh, I There's mean, a lot of social rather than technological yeah. solutions to that. Kind I mean, of thing. it has to be optional. I always say I want private citizens to be private, private, and public, uh, and the public sector to be public. We have the complete opposite right now. It, it's totally right out of 1984. Up is down, down is up. 
and in the Bitcoin blockchain space is the same thing. So let's. Uh, I want to just step back again because we. I and I. I really am really enjoying this discussion. By the way. Um, yeah, we should get back to consensus, more specifics. What? <laughs> what? Well, so the takeaway for me from the hackathon was that Bitcoin was dead, and also Bitcoin is not like feature rich. Even though I'm like blown away by the features of Bitcoin, like you know, oh, I love the features of Bitcoin. I have, a, have a whole article, seven use cases of Bitcoin. And so, I'm not even getting into the, I mean, look, 10 minutes. If people are complaining about a 10-minute confirmation time, especially the financial sector, credit cards have a three to six-month confirmation time. Um, but then again, if I'm at a store, I'm probably going to use a credit card. Well, the 10-minute time is actually like really crucial to the consensus mechanism because you have that 10 minutes of energy burning and that is a really core part of why it works versus like a 10 second thing. Like uh, 51% attacks would be a lot harder, easier if you had shorter block times. Um, that's just one part of it. But the other thing I see with blockchains is they're not really interested in the financial use cases often of blockchains. They're often, the things that I'm seeing is like basically a blockchain is a database uh, and that's it. It's a, and, and, and somehow it offers efficiency over existing databases. They're starting to see it as a database. Mm -hmm. I think they're finally starting to realize the database. Um, and there were some admissions to that, that they're starting to mention it in the, on the panels. Uh, I love what the IBM guy said that, well, you throw blockchain on, uh, as, into your project and all of a sudden you got funding. I mean, it's, cool. um, it's awesome that they're admitting it. I sent out that tweet. It got retweeted like 20, 30 times. It's like one of my few tweets this week that's getting crazy action. Well, from the consensus event, let's go, let's go back to that. So there were a number of things that happened there. Like the, the big showroom was, here's the, the thing that is interesting to me. Uh, it's not, it wasn't a Bitcoin conference. Let's just say that. It wasn't a Bitcoin conference. Oh, no, far from it. I think that's fair to say. Um, it was hard and I thought it was a Bitcoin conference, uh, but it wasn't, it was a blockchain conference, mainly an Ethereum conference. Uh, what's changed in the last year? Like how did that flip happened? Uh, or maybe it's not a last year thing. Maybe it's yeah, I, I, the I, new, the okay, new. in, uh, in their defense, I wouldn't call it an Ethereum conference. Um, at the hackathon, it might have felt like it was all Ethereum. Well, there was like an IBM Bluemix and some other yeah. private chains and permission chains. There was a, there was a large swath of options in terms of not. Yeah, I, I I didn't see, I, I didn't feel like Ethereum dominated. Um, though it is interesting. Like back in the day, you'd go to events and all you see is guys wearing Bitcoin T-shirts. And at this event, I don't think I saw. I think maybe Jonathan Mohan was wearing a Bitcoin T-shirt. And that's it. And there was multiple people wearing Ethereum gear. Everyone is rocking Ethereum. Everyone's promoting Ethereum. But the conference itself, as far as the speakers go, it was mostly just Vitalik. And I don't think there really were any other like Ethereum-focused speakers. How about Some was a Hyperledger was there, though? Did you see a lot of that? I saw Hyperledger at the hackathon. Did you find anything I about Hyperledger? I didn't notice. Is the Hyperledger that project, the Dental Praise project that was given, yeah, that's the one. given away to IBM, was it? He sold it to Blythe Masters, who or Mathers, who gave it to um, the consortium. Okay. So it's been like flipped <laughs> three times. Yeah. So I don't know. I the yeah the the IBM per guy was talking about it. Um, I I never understood Hyperledger. I remember talking to Dan O'Prey like two years ago, back when it was like still a baby, and 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 they were just you know it was still like a concept. They were still programming it, and then he's like, "Well, we're gonna do blockchain." without a token 
and um, I, I and, and I knew nothing then. I, I was I, I I was new to Bitcoin. I was in it for like maybe a year and a half. Uh, I knew how to use it. I did not know the technology behind it. I blockchain Bitcoin. I mean, I didn't know any of it. And I'm like, uh, blockchain without the token, without the Bitcoin. And I'm like, that's just like, wh wh why? Wh what are you doing there? Like, I couldn't understand it then. I don't understand it now. I've been telling people that, uh, in my descriptions everywhere online that uh, I blockchain, but with the Bitcoin. That's like been my latest uh, description in whenever you have like a bio. Because it, it really is the thing that's exciting about it is the Bitcoin. And, you know, I guess blockchains are neat. Here's one thing that's been disappointing me. So I was at Microsoft for the hackathon. There's Microsoft, there's IBM, Deloitte. There are large companies who have a certain brand weight to them. You expect them to be pretty, pretty sharp people. And when I meet these people in the room... Um, they seem they're they're still new, very new to this, and you I would have thought like there would be like a stealth research thing they've been doing for like a long time, and they're like, okay, we got it, we're entering now. But they seem to have just like jumped in. We're here. We don't have a clue. That's kind of like what I see from them, and it's I don't know what to say about that. Like it's kind of I guess it goes down to that whole like no oracles thing when it comes down to it, but something else, you know, something yeah. else. Uh, no, and the other thing that really stuck out, I'm trying to remember, I, it's three days straight of a lot of panels. Um, uh, Barry Silbert had good things to say. Um, but yeah, I, I like what Barry Silbert had to say. He understands it, though some of the companies he's invested in, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, also, some of the people that he's hired, uh, also not a huge fan of, not going to name names, of course. But uh, some of the people on the, on, on the team, I just... I. I, th these are the things that don't make sense. It's like you have people that understand something, but the people around them don't. And my question is, well, why are these people around you? Uh, so that, that that goes on for uh, multiple uh, parts did, of the. Of did the you sector. see Get Keza that, that that company that was kind of unstealth and they were starting to come out of stealth and they were starting to market and wind up and then they shut down? Did you see them? Here's the interesting part on that, right? Um, so I did not know they shut down. I have the inside scoop on it. Do you? Um, so I'll tell you what I know. I did not know they shut down. So I heard the interview of the Kaza guy on Bitcoin Uncensored. And I had the same problem that they did. It sounded great. The only problem was who is taking the Bitcoin volatility risk? Yeah, they, they were like, oh, so it's a market. Somebody would fill it. Right. So who is taking that risk? I'm like, unless you have Goldman Sachs on the other end of that with that their liquidity, I'm a little nervous, right? But I met another guy from Casa, not the main guy. I don't remember their name, sorry. And at the very end, like literally, like at the end of the conference, and I had no idea they shut down or shutting down. I had no idea. I thought they were in operation. And I was talking to him and I was talking to him about this and some of the other things they can do and and um, also talk to him about, you know, segregation of funds and uh, multi-sig and how all these things need to be implemented if you're going to scale and provide confidence to your users. I like the idea. Uh, but again, you need a, a serious counterparty in that space. And in my entire discussion with him, I was under the impression they're fully operational. I mean, I'm sure they have a very small user base. So again, right, if you're dealing with 100 Bitcoins, you can find a counterparty to that. Uh, and I kept telling them, well, just, just get everything ready, set it up, have your banking relationships, and wait for Ledger X. 
because they're going to do options. And if they can do options, you can buy insurance. You can insure it. Um, I don't know where Ledger X is going to find their counterparties, but at least their guys are coming from Goldman Sachs. They are building that project. They are tapped into the financial industry. They may be able to find some counterparties. Okay, or go talk to Reggie Middleton. Um, he's got a platform that will look you that will try to find counterparties for you. But again, you need that liquidity. So I was talking to them, and they did not mention at all that they're shutting down. Um, so I was very surprised when I saw that, like today or something like that when I heard it on another podcast. Uh, so go ahead, give me the details. You know, well, they were winding up and they were definitely starting their marketing. And one of the interesting things about them was they were going to offer the accounts were going to be BTC denominated. So that was kind of an interesting thing because you have the movement of the S&P 500 and then it, you get your your account is denominated BTC. So there's extra volatility there. How are they going to do that? I heard they're moving away from that. But the thing that I heard from somebody who I won't name, who had gone to their Brooklyn office and like talked to them, uh, the, basically what happened was they got spoke to by the regulators because some of their beta testers were U.S. citizens. And that alone was enough to have them spoken to and shut down. But it, well, again, right, but that's, but that's, uh, that's what happened to them. That's they got a regional to. problem, right? That, that, that's the fact that uh, there's, that's the fact that they're, they're known, right? You can, you can do this project. Again, I love the idea. And there's actually another way you can do it, but it, the regulation is the problem here. Not that you, can, you can get it done. It's possible, right? People give you Bitcoin. You put their Bitcoin in cold storage. Whatever Bitcoin they give you, that is, um, you put it in cold storage, and you now have credit. You can now use that amount of Bitcoin to borrow cash. Then you take that cash, and you put it in the S&P 500. And you're holding on to people's Bitcoins. You're not actually liquidating the Bitcoins. You're holding on to them and you're borrowing cash. If you can borrow this cash easy, if, you have, if you're a big bank and you can borrow it from the Fed at like a quarter percent interest, right? You have a lot of cash. This cash goes into the market. But again, now you have a regulatory problem because it's a U.S. market. So it's all regulation-based. It's totally doable. And then whatever profits that market is getting, you're using that cash to buy more Bitcoin based on that percentage, adding it into cold storage and borrowing more Bitcoin. That's if you can borrow cheap money. Um, and you charge people for that service. You're charging them a fee. Yes, I, I'm going to be converting uh, the, the I'm borrowing cash, so I have to charge you the percent that I'm getting. You don't need to profit on that. That's a cost you pass on. And then you charge them a management fee on top of all that. And then you just follow the S&P 500. It's totally doable, but I met the guy. The guy was very young, and that's the, that's the problem. Like, a lot of people that are creating companies in Bitcoin and blockchain, they're naive. They're naive. Uh, they're naive that the U.S. government exists. I always get these things that are like, no, no, you don't understand. They went to Switzerland to launch their um, tokenization. But it does seem better than Brooklyn. It, it's a little better than Brooklyn, but again, but they, they went to Switzerland and my answer to them is the only, there's only two countries in the world where you can ignore U.S. regulations. Is Russia one of them? Russia is one of them. What's the other one? Uh, I'm going to guess China. China. <laughs> why, why? Why? Because they don't have the, uh, the jurisdictions there don't play nice. So you want to play the jurisdictions against each other. But, but no, but why, why don't the jurisdictions play nice? You tell me, Tony. <laughs> because Russia... You got the first two, right? Be, you, you, got, you got the countries. 
uh, because Russia and China have the military to compete with the U.S. military. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason. This is why Edward Snowden's in Russia. Yeah. And uh, you may not like what China does. You may not like what Russia does. But if you are a Russian citizen, you don't have to give a shit about what the U.S. thinks. You could set up, you could set up in Russia and not service any Russian citizens. And in that way, you would avoid some local strangeness and get the benefit of the international uh, arrangements. Right, but in the Bitcoin space, it's hard. It's hard to play jurisdictions because in order to play jurisdictions, you have to play the KYC game. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's so true. you so you really need to be in the original Satoshi Nakamoto mode. I will build a product and I will prove to the market that this product is secure, that this product is efficient. And you're not going to know who I am. Not even founding a company. Just be, just get, t- right. t- quietly take your Bitcoin, exactly. code anonymously. <laughs> now, it's a bit of a, like you can say that we don't, know, we don't know who runs BTCE, but up to this point, they have had a good reputation, but they still have the option to walk away with your Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So for something like uh, Keza, um, you just need a multi-sig to protect people's funds from the company itself. Mm-hmm. And from the user itself, I mean, these are not easy solutions, but that's where I see it going. I see that the solution to KYC is to build a product, not even form a company, but you build a transparent product that is as hacker-proof as you can get it, mm-hmm. where no one needs to know who the CEO is. Of course, not, once you tokenize, you got a problem. And this, I don't want to talk about Mycelium. I've already spoken about it on the podcast. I had a big chat with the CEO of, of Mycelium about their tokenization uh, because it makes me nervous as a as a person who likes Bitcoin and who likes their product, their tokenization makes me nervous. Uh, I I really liked their uh, I really liked their product back when no one knew who ran it. Uh, but of course, running a Bitcoin company is hard because no one will give you funding because there's no profit in it. Like I always say, there's like three companies that are worth a damn in the Bitcoin space and they get no funding. Yeah, they just talked about this on Bitcoin Uncensored, but like the reality is in this space, there are ways to make money and there are things that you can do, but they're not going to make you, they're not going to make you like, you're not going to be able to talk about it at cocktail parties. You're not going to be able to tell your family about it. You probably shouldn't be in the US if you do it. And you probably like, if you just get your Bitcoin revenue, you go somewhere, you code quietly and you launch it and you just... That's a total thing you can do. And it might not be a big company. You can probably do it with like a, you and a couple of people. But VCs don't want to hear that. People don't want to hear that. But that might be the real yeah, reality. And, and you know what? And wallets come into this space also. Like I always mention my favorite wallets, which have been um, Arabits and Mycelium. They're both very privacy conscious. Uh, they provide an amazing product. It's like pulling teeth for them to get funding. And Mycelium can't really get funding. Arabit's got a little funding. I don't know how much more runway they have left. I love both of their products. And the thing is, they don't really generate much revenue. They're, gonna, they're getting very creative from different sides, each of those companies, to just try to generate revenue so that they can get some VC funding. But the problem is, their products are privacy conscious. If they announce that, they are, that their wallets are going to start doing KYC on their users... They will get more funding than they can imagine. The problem yeah, is true. no real Bitcoiner will use their product anymore. And, yeah. and the people making these products, this is where the politics of the CEO and the team play a big role. It's the politics of these CEOs, it's the politics of these companies that is preventing them 
from getting unlimited funding because all they have to do is say, we will start to KYC. They'll get plenty of funding. They'll be the next Coinbase. Mm -hmm. And so uh, software wallets are definitely hard to make money with. I think the hardware wallet guys are probably doing a lot better because they can, uh, they can charge for their hardware wallets. Um, I think the wallet play is a lot of it's like down to reputation, like because you're like, you're the brand that's used to access maybe like a lot of money. And so there's like a reputation there that maybe can be monetized later. Um, it's hard to say. But the cool thing about Bitcoin is that if you do have a problem with a Bitcoin company, you can always move your funds. You can always expatriate your funds to somewhere else. There's no one's going to close the gate on you like a bank is. Like if you want to get your funny, your money out, you can get your money out. Uh, unless you're... You're, uh, unless they have custody of your funds but and you're not just using their software to access your own keys. Uh, but anyways. Right, well, this is what developers are for, right? This is why you publish the code. This is why you open source the code. And smart developers will go through that code and they will immediately report it, like what happened with Bitcoin XT. Like the moment they found some garbage in there, it was immediately hit the, hit the web. Yeah, I mean, we, we're so lucky with the quality of the developers that we do have, and I would love to see the number of developers we have grow. Uh, it's just that the developers that we're seeing right now, like the growth is in blockchain. That's where there's a lot of growth right now. And maybe those people will come around to Bitcoin. It seems like inevitably, like with enough time, you kind of come back to Bitcoin. Like I didn't come to the, this position of like Bitcoin's the big innovation here at first. I really, that wasn't how where I started. Uh, but just thinking about it and looking at it like that continues to be the 800 pound gorilla in the blockchain space it's it's bitcoin the the token <laughs> and the network oh, yeah. but like the, it's like it's the ability that it, it'll, it gives you yeah no absolutely all right let's um let's see anything else on consensus i'm trying to think of what else really stood out oh you know what i have to talk about larry summers and the other one Mosky. Um, so I don't understand why they have these people speak there. I mean, I, I know it's to sell tickets and to uh, get more people because they're popular names. For people that, know, that don't know, Ben Losky is the guy okay, behind so, the Bitcoin Right, license. so Ben Losky is the orchestrator of the New York City Bit license, which no one really seems to care about. There's like three companies that have it, and they have no uses, users. And Larry um, Summers... What was he? His he was like a Summers was the Treasury Secretary, I believe, and he's got a bunch of other roles in the government. He was a Harvard. Uh, I gotta stop naming names. He was a <laughs> professor at some big university. Uh, I I I believe it was Harvard, but I could be wrong. And uh, he's like a life economist who I believe has never had a job. Uh, he's were, never... they, were they on a panel together? No, okay. no. So Summers had a fireside chat. So to me, Summers has never had a job because he's never had a business. Mm -hmm. um, I had a business. I still have a business. It's in New Jersey. It's a massage therapy office. It will be the first and last business I will ever be involved in opening. Uh, I've worked for a living. I've been a teacher. I've worked in a public sector. I've worked in a private sector. And um, um, I've had jobs. And I don't think he ever has. He just talks economics. And he actually stood there and said... All Bitcoin, it'll be regulated. Uh, the, all the government has to do is just change the law so that it doesn't say you can't travel with 10000 in cash you, to you can't travel with $10,000 in value. And it will be fixed. <laughs> I mean, th th this is how <laughs> these people think. <laughs> this is how they think. They no, sit there and go, and Bitcoin is three days away from being fully regulated and compliant. There's nothing there. The innovation is the blockchain. <laughs> oh, man. And then Lossky is sitting there thinking that everyone is, uh, you know, laundering money. Uh, 
it, I don't know. I it it it's hard to even say. Uh, just it's the way these guys think, and this is the problem. And this is how you end up working for the government, making laws. Uh, laws is what can be enforced, and they still haven't figured this one out. Um, a couple of good things were said, though. Like one of the regulators or one of somebody on the regulatory panel said, um, "This happens throughout history." Criminals and bad actors always get to new technology first and government and law enforcement freaks out. They think they will never solve another crime again and then 10 to 15 years later they catch up. He's like, this is what happened with uh, cell phones. This is what happened with the internet. They're all like, oh my God, that's it. Uh, police, FBI, we might as well shut down. We will never ever be able to solve another crime. And meanwhile, they find a way to like dig their heels in and make it even harder for, for everybody else. And then the private sector comes up with a new technology. It's always a cat and mouse game. And right now, uh, Bitcoin is way ahead. And uh, this is my new favorite phrase. As long as the, our current core developers remain the guardians of the code, uh, I remain optimistic on Bitcoin's future. I think it's a good place to end it. And if and if you saw consensus, went to consensus, or you're kind of burnt out on the blockchain stuff, guys, take a Bitcoin break. I'm going to take probably a little Bitcoin vacation for a week or two. You know, go to the beach. It's a good point. <laughs> I, I have been. I've been in group chats a little less. I'm focusing on my trading a little more. I've decided that Bitcoin will be here for a while, and I will take a look at the price of Bitcoin when someone texts me it's a, at new all-time highs. But you can get burnt out on Bitcoin and just fall in this space because so much happens and it's and it's crazy and it gets oh, you and, and it, you can get real caught up and if and if you're feeling like that, my recommendation, just take a little break. Bitcoin's not going anywhere, guys. <laughs> Agreed. All right, bye. All right, see you later.